0: Welcome to Breakthrough Cocktail. We're mixing up happiness, good life skills, and adding a dash of improv to help you live an awesome life. Please give it up for your breakthrough mixologist, Gary Ware. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. I'm your host, Gary Ware. Today on the show, I have a very special guest. She is the author of the book Werewolf Nights, and you can get that book on Amazon. But welcome to the show, Mari Hamel. Welcome, Mari. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Gary. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited. We're going to have a, a fantastic talk today. Uh, I'm looking forward to your questions and, and finding some, uh, giving some good suggestions to people. And, and...
0: Cool. I'm excited. So before we dive into the book and you know your inspiration behind the book and everything that's going on, Give our listeners just a quick sneak peek, a little bit about you, uh, just so they, if they haven't heard about you, they know a little bit more about your background.
1: I was uh, born and raised in Puerto Rico. Uh, I did my, um, I've been studying literature all my life. So I've been reading and writing all my life. I did my studies at Harvard, uh, studied English and American literature. After that, I went to do my master's at the University of Michigan. Uh, I spent a year at the Sorbonne studying also comparative literature, did a first year of doctoral studies, and eventually finished my Ph.D. at the University of Michigan. In the meantime, I traveled different countries and I did research, mostly student grants back in the day. So.
0: Wow. Oh, my gosh. Such... Uh, it's such a huge diverse background, you know, uh, border raised Puerto Rico, and you came here to the States and then you studied and you got your bachelor's and then your master's and your PhD and you wrote a book. Oh my gosh. You, you make me just feel like I'm like, man, I need to get myself into gear. Um, <laughs> that is just so awesome. Uh, so before we jump into the book, I'm so curious. What is your PhD in again?
1: It's comparative literature. I did it on, on Caribbean literature, um, written in English, Spanish, and French. So mostly contemporary female novelists. Um, and the history of the Caribbean is really fascinating. Uh, I, I also I also spent one chapter on Salem, uh, the witchcraft trials, which influenced a little bit uh, my writing of Werewolf Nights, living in a town uh, with a belief of the supernatural.
0: Wow. That is so cool. And so... When you were going through your whole journey and you know everything that you were doing you know as far as schooling, did you always think that you were going to write a book, or did that come after?
1: I got the idea, I would say, years before I graduated, but it was something that I wrote a few chapters, and I left it because I had to do research, and I had to do other things, uh, but it was always in the back of my mind. Great. I think it was while I was living in, in Spain, in Barcelona, and they have so many bookstores there it's like one after the other after the other after the other and all the books were in spanish and i just went crazy reading a book a day or a little bit more
0: <laughs> wow that is so fascinating so the f- first question is Werewolf nights what was the inspiration for the book you had mentioned um you know it has some influence on salem but you know, just give our listeners actually i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself before we jump into your inspiration for the listeners who haven't listened to the book, can you give us a quick synopsis of
1: the book? Yes, takes place in a town that claims to have been founded by werewolves. Ah, uh, so they celebrate the festival of the wolf, and a movie company comes to shoot a film about their most infamous, the town's most infamous werewolf legend. They cast the local baker, uh, who reluctantly agrees because she's not much into the Hollywood style and living. So, but for her town because her town needs money. She decides to do it to give her town publicity. Now, she starts falling for her co-star, but when this happens, he gets bitten by a wolf. And now, if they want to be together, they have to find a way to undo the curse.
0: So it has a little bit of everything. You know, it has yeah. some, some romance, werewolves, you know, some Hollywood, you know, a small town. It's, like, it's almost like you found the formula for like, the perfect story, and then you just put it all together.
1: Yes, thank you. And a little bit of horror. Yeah, I think it it, it does cater to different types of tastes. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So jumping into your inspiration, what was your inspiration for writing Werewolf Nights?
1: Well, uh, I must say my family has owned a comic bookstore for over 20 years. So I've lived in this world of fantasy uh, (laughs) for many years. And I I wanted to do something related to that world. Uh, Now, werewolves, I found them particularly fascinating because they are... They're human, yet there's this monstrous side to them that can be very evil. So they're very unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get with them. Uh, and that's how I picked them. Because if it's something you, you you could play with your characters a lot.
0: And for the story, did you have any of your background? Did any of that somewhat get into the book uh, as far as relationships or, or things of your past?
1: I think that the Malthax place in Michigan um it's an imaginary town but definitely I, the years I spent in Ann Arbor Michigan inspired me. Uh it had to be a setting uh Ann Arbor is a place that's interesting cuz you have a diversity of thought like people come they have like different political views. You find people like on two sides of the coin all the time. So I wanted something like that because you could put any kind of character in such a scenario. Yeah. And, uh, um, and that's where I I got my inspiration from. I was just a little bit Puerto Rico, the culture because, the, the main character owns a bakery and my mother owns a comic book store. Now in the comic book store, a lot of people gather and they talk about the latest events and comic books and the supernatural. So at the bakery, people of the town gather to talk about the latest werewolf legends or werewolf sightings that they claim they're real, but some people don't believe in them. And, uh, but it's definitely a meeting point. So that, that's definitely Puerto Rico, that kind of culture of getting together.
0: And so let's jump in and talk about that, that, I find that so fascinating. So you grew up in Puerto Rico and your mom owned a comic book store. Yes. So what was that like?
1: That was, uh, I think it started while I was in college. Maybe, uh, yeah, that was fun because you get to meet a whole community of artists and, um, uh, and writers. So it really does connect you to that, that, community. That's, uh, and, and, and you, you know, everything that's coming out, every new comic book, uh, a lot of movies related to that. So you know what's happening.
0: And so when you came over to the States and you went to school, like you went to Harvard. That is, yeah. again, so awesome. And so so what was it like going to Harvard? Like you grew up in Puerto Rico and then you went to Harvard. Was it like completely different or you just came natural?
1: I think it was exciting. Um, it was different, but not... I wouldn't say I had the biggest culture shock there. I, I had more of a culture shock when I moved, moved to Michigan. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was all new and exciting. And it was also the first time I was living on my own, you know, with roommates instead of my parents. So yeah. <laughs> that was fun. And they had, you know, events every Friday and Saturday. So it's making new friends. Of course, there's always the difficult part and the language because uh, I, I've been studying English since, since first grade. But I never really spoke it outside of uh, presentations in class. So I had to get used to that. That was a little bit of a shock. But, you know, it went smoothly. Uh
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. And so tell us a story about, again, like you said, you only spoke English in presentations. So now you're in another country, you're adapting to new surroundings, and you're speaking English, you know, full time. Uh, Were there any instances where there was sort of like a language gap where you had to adapt or anything like that?
1: I think there were. Uh, Sometimes uh, when people spoke about particular things that were very cultural, I didn't know what they were referring to. Because I listen to a lot of Latin music, uh, so they're talking about this and that, and I'm like, I remember sitting there, I was like, I wonder what they're talking about, because I have no clue what these people (laughs) are talking about. Like, what show are you talking about? Or what, 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 what song is that? Uh... So yeah there were times when I was completely clueless and um I went on later on I think yeah la- later on I remember that happened to me again when I was learning German but that was <laughs> that was harder though. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> yeah. can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So you said you had the biggest cultural shock when you were in Michigan. W- why is that?
1: I think because there there was such diversity of opinion which was interesting but uh, I remember more my years at Harvard was mostly like a liberal type of crowd but people had similar beliefs or my friends it wasn't that radical In Michigan it's just it's the meeting point I remember teaching there and debating a particular question and uh, I would say so what's your opinion on X topic it was just a Spanish class so the topics weren't necessarily it was a Spanish 101 but still then you would have half the classroom with one idea and then half the classroom with another uh, another view. I thought that was really interesting, but it's a bit of a shock, right? Because all of a sudden you're exposed to, yeah, you know, there's a whole world out there and <laughs> and you're learning what people are like. Yeah. And also it's that winter is more like uh, the way you dress and the, the winter people tend to uh, the winter in Boston was cold, but people still went out. I remember going out with my hair freezing and not caring. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, oh, well. <laughs> it's Friday night, but in Michigan, sometimes people stayed in. Uh, those those were cold winters, but it, you know it was a nice time, very interesting, and and you had a lot of freedom. The university gave me a lot of freedom of thought. You could choose your own topics. You could they they sent me to travel. That's how I traveled to like Spain and Germany and France. Uh, so it was very open minded
0: and is that completely different than when it was in puerto rico like as far as people having such diverse thoughts on on topics
1: well what happens in puerto rico is that i already had my community by the time i was 18 so i already had people who were like-minded and also since i grew up there we had this pretty much the same background my friends We'd all been to the same high school, or a similar elementary school, or we knew the friends of friends. So I wasn't as exposed. Uh, but I mean, it's also a difference. Between, but I live close to San Juan, uh, which is a city, and people go out. It's uh, And I would tend to feel a little bit... Uh, it's just a, different vibe, a yeah. different vibe.
0: Yeah, just because you have so many different people with different upbringings and whatnot, and you get them all together, they're not going to ne- necessarily mesh well, or not yeah. mesh is a bad term, but like they're not always going to agree. Whereas if you grew up with everyone and you're all like-minded, you guys naturally will tend to agree just because of just how you were brought up. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's totally, you, you got it there. I also think that um, in Boston, I live close to the ocean and in Puerto Rico, I live close to the ocean. And yeah. now here, in Venice, I live close to the ocean. And that was the first time when I didn't see the ocean. And I don't know if that's culture shock or what, but that did make a difference. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm surrounded by land all over the place. And I, that's also why I liked it for a town. Like you could, you could put the werewolves in there. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. There, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're kind of stuck.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: so jumping forward a little bit, you know, I, I really, I love your sort of background of of, you know, very serious study and then all the traveling. So how did that come about? Can you tell, you know, take us through that journey of, of how you got to go study abroad? You said it was through University of Michigan, right?
1: Yes. Um, I think back in the day, they were really good in travel abroad programs, probably at the, at the top of the list. Um, I think that they have this view that, you know, um, uh, traveling is, you need to travel to learn. I study comparative literature, so they require three languages. I had English and Spanish down by then, and um, I chose French as the third one. So to polish my French, <laughs> great excuse, right? Yeah. <laughs> I went to France, and at first I went to Canada, then I went to Switzerland, and then I went to France, uh, and that was that was really fantastic. And after that, you just get this feel for traveling, so you find new ways of doing it. Most of the time that I traveled, uh, it was never, it was always as a student. And I got to live there and live in the dorms and then learn the language and talk to the people and meet people from all over the world, which was very fantastic. I mean, countries I've never met people from, and then there they were, and there I was talking to them. Yeah.
0: You just seem like a very outgoing person. Do you just naturally just spark up a conversation with people or are you a little bit more reserved when you don't know them that
1: well? I think that because of traveling, uh, like I was mentioning when we first came to Harvard, maybe it was a bit more on the quiet side, but it's still friendly and I have my group. But once you go through the initial shock and then you go to the second language or the third language, to survive in another country, you have to go and, and find a group of people. Otherwise, you're going to stay alone in a corner. <laughs> yes. And that's, you know, it, that can be depressing. So... You really have to be like being shy does not serve any purpose right now. I can have to go out there and interact. So I learned, I learned that skill from, from traveling.
0: Yeah. And I think that's for listeners. I feel that that is a good lesson for them to take for anything, you know, whether you're traveling abroad or you're just starting a new job or you're, you move to another city, you have to force yourself to get outside of your comfort zone and interact with people because if you don't, you're not going to get anywhere and you're going to be very lonely. Yeah. And so um, so you're put in these countries where you don't necessarily know the language that well. was, was that harder or did it, do you think it helped you learn the language faster?
1: I think uh, when, when it was French speaking, I think that was that went pretty smoothly because French is easier to learn because it's similar to Spanish. Uh, and I had studied it very well. Uh, when I was, I spent a year, year in Germany teaching German. And that <laughs> was a little bit, now there I remember sitting in a group of people. And I'm like, oh, go ahead, speak German. I'm like, I got 25% of what they said. <laughs> 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 but eventually what I did was I went to see a lot of movies. I would go see a movie, every, well, two, three movies every week. And I always like watching the videos with the subtitles. And by the end, I would say I could understand 85 90% of what was said in the movie. So, but it's harder when people are talking, especially when they're making particular references.
0: Let me get this straight you were in Germany teaching german
1: i was teaching american culture and uh american literature in german in in, no in english in english oh okay i was like wow
0: marie you really like a challenge you're you're gonna move to germany to teach german Uh, okay cool that's a lot that's a lot better
1: maybe in the future that would be awesome yeah yeah
0: um and so you said um with german because it's not as similar, you know, as French to Spanish, that was a little bit more of a challenge, right?
1: That was a challenge. It's not even... Sometimes the words are not even similar to English. It's just completely different. Uh, and I had... I went there and I only taken a few... When I went to France, I already taken, a, you know, a few... Uh, a, year, a whole year of French, actually. When I went to Germany, I only taken a couple of months of German. Wow. So that was sink or swim.
0: Yeah. And you did it.
1: Yeah. My teaching, and after that, it was German class. But... Sometimes, I must say, it's even better to go to a country when you don't speak the language. Because you can go to the class and that's where you meet a lot of friends who are in the same situation as you are. And I have friends that have lasted till this day from, those, from that year, from, from language class.
0: Great. And so, um, how
1: long were you in Germany again? I was like there around a year.
0: Wow. And this whole time, your family is still in Puerto Rico? Yes. So, how did, did you just correspond with letters and, you know, back and forth?
1: I went to visit. Uh, no, I, I remember my mother came to visit me. Yeah, and the rest of the time, I guess we would talk on the phone. That was before skyping, so yes. you just got to talk on the phone and get one of the calling cards and, yep. and you know put in the pin code. And
0: <laughs> I remember those.
1: And yeah, I remember using cell. That's you know using cell phones and everything. Uh <laughs> it's changed now. Now you you can Skype. You know, I talk to friends in India and.
0: Uh <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's crystal clear. And it was just like you're right next to each other. So that's, that's great. Yeah. Time does fly with these things. So moving on, you know, you've had such, such an adventurous upbringing. Um, and you know, your, your sort of college career, uh, you're so cultured. Um, so now what do you do? Like, because you just wrote this awesome book and you know, you put that out, you know, how do you just stay active now? Is it completely different from having all this? Adventure. Then now you're just more settled.
1: Well, I must say the book. Uh, once I started writing the book, I did. I stopped traveling because it did consume most of my time. In between the research and everything, uh, it it just it, it I was I, I I've been here for a while. I've uh, been in LA maybe six years, of which I've traveled to Puerto Rico, visited my parents, and back, but I haven't had. The adventure was mostly in my head, on the page. And once the book came out, now that has been an interesting adventure because I entered the online world and uh, I've met hundreds of people just online. Uh, I've learned how to relate to them. At first, I was like, I have friends that I've only met online. Are these really my friends? Originally, I was like, this cannot be. And now it's like, oh my God, how are you? Yeah. So it's been like, a it's been traveling, but traveling in in, in, cyber, in a cyber world. That's, yeah. that's the new adventure.
0: Ah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, you're right. If it wasn't for things like Skype and and Facebook and Twitter, I wouldn't really know what anyone (laughs) was up to at this point. Um, So take us through this process. You know, this is your first book and you wrote this book, but you said you sort of had this story. How long did it take you to write the book?
1: I think once it, it was like a three year process, I would say. And then publishing like a year and a half process.
0: And and so when you wrote the book what was your process did you outline and then write a little bit each day or did you you know spend long chunks writing
1: I went ahead and wrote skeleton chapters from beginning to end and then I started rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. So instead of an outline, I had skeleton chapters, pretty much right. what was happening. And then I fleshed it out.
0: And would you say that is a good technique for anyone that is looking to write their own book and they are a little bit intimidated?
1: I think it depends on personality. Some people, I think, would work better if they outline everything from beginning to end. Other people might feel too constrained by that. Uh, I went somewhere in between. Um, because I remember some of the twists and cha- uh, that the chapters take, I just I just changed them afterwards. Uh, so, yeah, I think either way it works. It depends on personality. But it's good to have an idea of where you're going. And I had that idea very clear from the beginning.
0: On where you want to go, so you just yes. sort of connected the dots.
1: Uh, what kind of world do you want to create, and what do you want to accomplish with it? I wanted to create a world in which people... It was a, a, uh, a world where worlds exist, yet people uh, are always changing their mind about about them. Do they exist? Do they not exist? And somehow that kind of reflects um, how we how we, we we can change beliefs from one day to the next. Today we can be convinced of this, and then tomorrow we can totally deny it. Yeah, uh, it's kind of what happened during the Salem witchcraft trial, which is a very sad episode in the history American history. At the moment, they believed in the witches, and then they didn't. Now, could they go back to believing again? Some people claim they don't. I think anything can happen.
0: So true, and and you're right. It is such a metaphor for life. In that one moment, you know, you believe one thing, and then you can easily switch.
1: Yeah, It, it it's even having people being accused of things. So today they're free. Tomorrow they're guilty. Today we we you know acquit <laughs> them. Well, that, yeah, that was the kind of thing. Um, I've always found that fascinating. It's about human behavior, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And, that, and I feel that until you get to know someone, you should try to not judge because you're right. You know, like what they say, don't judge a book by its cover because you have no idea what's going through their head and what sort of things are, you know, influencing them.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree with that one.
0: I, I agree, too. So you took about three years to write the book, and you said it was another year for the publishing. How did you go about getting your publisher?
1: I I explored different options, uh, and, and finally, I had to find an editor. The editing process takes a long time. Finally, I, I found a company. It's, it's, uh, I I do most of the marketing. Um, I found um, a company, and they, they have professional editing, and so I went with them. I think um, the editing is what takes a long time because you send it to an editor then they send it back you make some corrections make adjustments but this takes months from the first time you send it to the time they send it back to the time and so on and so forth so that whole process takes like a year I think Uh, and then the marketing begins and the marketing I think is is where the adventure begins with connecting to the rest of the world like the amount of friends and the things you're exposed to and a once you you have a finished product and you're out there, that that's really exciting in a way. Even though it's all kind of from my house, although I, I uh, I've been to other places because of there I, I was home in Puerto Rico. We had a book signing for the book signing. We had a werewolf. Uh,
0: <laughs> that is cool.
1: That join us. Um, I did a comedy show also at the yeah. finest improv, and that was that was really fun. Uh. So you get to talk about your book in front of an audience that was really fun. something I've never done before. So all these things are 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 just adventures for me.
0: Yeah, you're right. it, it is a new adventure. You know, you went from traveling the world to now you're traveling, you know, online and then traveling locally, but
1: yeah. you know I'm talking to you, you know, I've connected with somebody else in another city and here we're having an interesting discussion.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a really good lesson for, you know, again going back and you know, telling people get outside your comfort zone and really push yourself. If there's something that you want to do, you should, you know, and it, and it makes you happy and it makes you, you know, it challenges you at the same time. You should go for it because if you don't do that, it's not going to open up these doors for you. If you would have said, no, this book is, you know, not good enough or no, I'm not going to write this book. Well, you would never be where you are now. So
1: I, I I think that's the best lesson I've learned. And uh, that book is, has really brought me a lot of happiness. I mean, of course, I, I can't deny it. I did agonize while I was writing it. I did have my moments where I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. The anger, the, what are people going to think? But the more you ex- put yourself out there, the more you realize that a lot of the fears that you had are not really that important. Yeah. When your book starts re- reaching those readers that appreciate what you did, you just feel overwhelmed with joy. Awesome. And so how did you get connected
0: with your publisher, Dog Ear Publishing?
1: Yeah, it's, a, it's an independent publisher. Um, so I found them um, through a referral. Um, it's all been communication through the internet, sometimes on the phone, but...
0: That's great. And again, you know, I feel that everything is possible. A lot of people, they get caught up on the more, the specifics and, and you know, all the sort of behind the scenes stuff, but I I feel, you know, until you put something out on paper or type it out or whatever, however you do it, you're not going to find out because I know I've talked to many, many people. And if you're listening, you know who you are uh, about writing that book and they've always put it off and they've always put excuses. And I feel that, you know, not to sound harsh, but for those people who have excuses, I want to say that, you're not serious about writing. Because if you were serious about writing, you would find a way to do it.
1: I, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I, I won't deny it's hard. There are moments when you feel the fear and you feel like, well, once you make the decision, I say go forward. And once the product is finished, then you got to take action because you can't leave it. Oh, I wrote this book and nobody read it. Oh my God, people just... No, you can't blame it on other people. You have to go there and actively find those readers and say, look, I've got this product and tell them. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. Offer them, and and people respond. You know, I found a lot of positive responses. Uh I'm excited every time somebody contacts me. Oh, I read your book! I, I liked it so much. I'm like, whoa! Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Exciting. And so, so tell me about that. Like, you aren't a marketer, but now, like, and you weren't necessarily a, an author, but you you overcame that, and now you're marketing. What was that like having to market your book for the first time?
1: That. Has been a challenging process uh, because I like I'm like I told you my history is being from school to school studying with the book in my hand so all of a sudden I have to sell this book and I'm like really and I've taken how many marketing courses zero <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're just gonna do what we're just gonna wing it uh, and I'm winging it and The more you start connecting, the more you get questions, answers, you know, the research on the internet, talking to other people. Other authors are very, very supportive. uh, And they already have gathered, you know, all this knowledge. Um, I did eventually go to a seminar, marketing seminar, and and they taught us a lot of things. Uh, So I just take notes, ask people. It's important to ask to have conversations with people, I would say. Because that's where I found, you know, the most interesting insight. You don't you're not gonna figure out everything by yourself. You gotta ask. There are answers for your questions. It's not it's not it's not hopeless.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I feel Mara, you have so many good insights, and that's another good insight that a lot of people they fail to do. They think that they know everything or they should do it all by themselves. But no. You know, why reinvent the wheel, as they say? Someone else has gone through it and asked for help. You know, what's the worst that can happen? They say, no, you know, all right, you ask someone
1: else. Exactly. That's, I think, that fear of rejection has to be overcome, especially if you're a writer. Writers are bound to be rejected 100,000 times. Even the most famous popular ones that have made it to the classics, uh, some of them have gone through that. Yeah. But you know you keep you keep knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and people start saying yes. And there's some people who you wouldn't expect, the people who you would least expect, they're like, Oh my god, I'm so happy to help you. What can I do for you? Yes.
0: That is so cool. And yeah, and like you said, it's opened up so many avenues for you. Um I think that is freaking awesome.
1: Thank you, yes.
0: Yes. So so the next question is, so what's next?
1: Well I'm definitely working on the sequel. Uh that that should be interesting. Um I'm still working on a screenplay about the dating culture in Los Angeles. And I definitely want to adapt this into a screenplay and see what happens. You never know. Yes, exactly. Uh, It'd be great to see those werewolves on the screen one day. Uh, So I think with those projects and between the marketing, that just pretty much occupies most of my time.
0: Cool. Well, these are such awesome questions. We're getting ready to jump into what I like to call the lightning round. And in the lightning round, this is where I ask all of my guests the same questions because I'm so excited to hear how they think and see how they answer. So Mari, are you ready to jump into the lightning round? Go for it. Awesome. All right. So first question that I have, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you always want to be a writer?
1: I think I wanted to be a teacher. I had a little school in my room. Uh, so <laughs> I all my stuffed animals and I would teach them every day. <laughs> <laughs> they learned anything. That's the problem. That's what I said. This is not happening.
0: <laughs> so then you said, you know what? I'm going to go to school myself and then I'm going to be a writer.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, so other than writing, what hobbies do you like to do for fun?
1: Well, uh, I, I like I going to the gym. I like yoga. I had left her for a little while, but now I'm back on track. So definitely yoga. I like going out and dancing and meeting people. Maybe not every weekend, but let's say every couple of weeks, he's going to go out there and just, just get that vibe and listen to the music and some good DJs. That's, that's pretty fun. And walking around.
0: Oh, yeah. Exploring, that's always fun. What sort of music are you into nowadays?
1: I listen... I like live music, so whenever there's an event, I'll go to a classical or whatever as long as it's live. Uh, and then... The rest of the time, since in LA we spend a bit of time in in the car. (laughs) I like uh, the pop culture and the latest songs, and and in Spanish and English, whatever they're playing.
0: Yeah. So are you a morning or a night person?
1: I'm a night person.
0: Ah.
1: I, I've, tried being, I've been a morning person for, let's say, a couple of months, and then things don't work out, and I'm back up until, like, 1 or 2 in the morning. <laughs> Problem is, sometimes I start writing, and then I get so wired up, that even if I finish by, let's say, 11.30, I'm, like, wide awake until, like, 1 or 2 in the morning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> awesome and so do you have any since you're a night person any evening rituals or anything like that that you like to do every evening to either wind down or or just you know tune in
1: uh I do my tweets tweets of the day and after that you know sometimes I I might watch start watching a movie or just read a couple of pages of a book I try to find a book that, that has the right like calming energy that's what I do
0: yes um speaking of books are there any good books that you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: I've been reading uh, Nicholas uh, Sparks. I hadn't read him before. And I read The Choice and I liked it. And I'm reading The Best of Me. And so far, I love it.
0: So good. I have both of them on my list. So what's a typical Friday evening like at your house or with you?
1: The, the fun the funny thing is like on Fridays I like to go to the gym <laughs> don't ask me why because I go out on Thursdays or on Saturdays <laughs> got
0: it and so since you go out on Thursday or Saturday what sort of things do you like to go and do
1: I think now I've made took the resolution this year I'm going to go dancing so hopefully this Thursday I'll, I'll, I'll have some dancing going on and I need to explore that part I spend a lot of time a little bit isolated through the writing process so now it's, it's time to go and get out there and have some fun
0: Great. Meet more people and have more adventures, right?
1: Yeah, let the werewolves loose, right? Yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, since you are such a good howler. <laughs> so a few more questions and then I'll let you go, Mari. Um, next one is, are there any quotes or affirmations that you like to live your life by?
1: I think, yes. Um, I think there, there are two ideas. Somebody once told me that if you want inspiration, you need to fix your relationships. I think it's important to work on your relationships every day. And by that I not only mean like boyfriend or girlfriend or parents, but I mean just the way you relate to everybody. And if something is bothering you, that needs to be fixed. So you can have peace of mind and go forward. And the other one I would say is just take action. If you have a goal, do something. And um, I I learned this from somebody else. It's not my complete original idea. But uh, so I'm quoting, not to plagiarize, but I say take action. Mistakes will happen. Because you're bound to make a mistake, but that shouldn't stop you. You learn from that and just move on, keep going.
0: And then that does tell very nicely into my last question. And if you can give our listeners one action, one thing they can do right now that will help them find their passion, whatever it is, and live an awesome life, what would that be?
1: I would say make a decision to do that. Don't be like I have to think about it too much. Take your time to think about it, or maybe you've thought about it. Just Make a decision. That's important. Otherwise, you can't go in any direction. You're going to be, like, debating. You're going to be like Hamlet, you know, thinking about things too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, and then you get nowhere.
1: You get nowhere. Decisions have to be made. That's also part of the writing process. The writing process teaches you how to make decisions quicker. Is your character going to go into the store? Is he going to kill somebody tomorrow? Is he going to fall in love? This needs to happen, needs to happen now. (laughs) Now, exactly. And what happens afterward, you deal with the repercussions afterward of of this particular action. And it's the same in life.
0: Deal with it. You know, whether you do it or you don't do it, decide. Yeah. And that's how it is. Um, Yeah, exactly. Mari, this has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for taking time out of your evening and spending time with us and telling us about your awesome adventures and your great book. And, yeah, you're just such an awesome person. And I'm so grateful that you... Uh, wanted to do this interview
1: thank you so much this has been fantastic and (laughs) yeah
0: i love it and so uh, before we let you go if you could just spend a moment just letting our listeners know how they can get in touch with you uh if they want to learn more about your book or what you got what else you got going on the floor is yours
1: yes um i have two twitter accounts one is at Mary hamill m-a-r-i-h-a- M-I-L-L, kind of like Mark Hamill, but uh, with an I at the end. Uh, So, and then at werewolf uh, underscore night. I have a Facebook account also called Mary Hamill. And, uh, yeah, feel free to contact me. And if you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them.
0: Perfect. Sweet. And then, yeah, for those of you who are listening, if you're driving or running or you're not near a computer where you can write this down or or jump on these sites, don't worry about it. Go to brickthecocktail.com. Find this interview, and we will include all these links in the show notes. And that concludes another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. Mari, once again, thank you so much for being a guest.
1: Thank you. This was a wonderful evening.
0: Yes, and to everyone out there, stay awesome. See you next time.
1: You've been listening to Breakthrough Cocktail. If you liked what you heard, be sure to visit www.breakthroughcocktail.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the Insider Newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get instant access to exclusive content and frequent
0: doses of happiness. See you there. Until then, stay awesome.